0: In meeting with clients that I've met with, um, there seems like there's this inverse relationship where um, as, as kind of acting out of sexual behavior goes up, you know. the ability to kind of be um, emotionally and physically intimate, like in a real way, goes down. Yeah. Would you say that's fair? Hello, welcome to uh, another episode, season three, I think, of Finding Peaks. I'm Jason Friesma, chief clinical officer And you'll notice we've had a change of set. Uh, I think we are moving toward a podcast feel. Um, And I'm really excited about it. I'm hoping it'll give us an opportunity to have um, even more intimate and uh, close conversations. Um, Joining me today, uh, Zach LaFever. Uh, Zach is a therapist, primary therapist here at Peaks Recovery and um, came to us from Durango, Colorado, where he was working in crisis and i'm really excited to have zach on Um, today we are going to be uh, kind of tackling the topic of uh, sex addiction Um, obviously doing a lot of work in this space uh, as far as mental health and substance use it it is frequent that uh, people do have um, ongoing process addictions so addictions that are not necessarily to a chemical or something but to a a behavior or set of behaviors um, and sex addiction is certainly one that, that, we, uh, that we look at a fair amount. So, um, Zach, I don't know, maybe start with, let's kind of define what sex addiction even is. Like, how, how do we define that? Because I think it's a pretty broad, broad range of uh, yeah. behaviors that can
1: fall under that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's some of the issue um, for many is what does it mean to define? Like, what is sex addiction? Um, I think that's one of the questions that a lot of people ask. Um, and, and, and part of the problem is defining it um, because like any addiction, right, it's, it's, uh, it can be kind of, um, personal in terms of how they define it. Yeah. What, what that label means for them and, and whatnot. But, um, really the simplest way that I can think of, of, lab, of defining sex addiction is, um, involving, uh, the idea of reliance and compulsive behavior and, and involving some area of unwanted behavior. Yeah. So if there's those three things, um, we now involved, I think we can have a good idea of what's going on.
0: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, and I know, you know, even looking at like the DSM and substance use disorder where there's like a tolerance, um, mm-hmm. where, you know, that often happens with people with sex addiction, behaviors kind of tend to ramp up um, for people to receive the desired right. effect from it, right. um, a withdrawal can occur if they, mm-hmm. if somebody isn't available, the mm-hmm. if they aren't acting out on that issue. Um, great deal of time spent in that, uh, harming relationships, uh, causing harm towards mental health, like on and on it goes. And so um, it is interesting how those parallels um, manifest themselves, I guess. Um, so how, it, how have you come across this as an interest in your, in your therapeutic approach?
1: Yeah, you really started in grad school. Um, so I, um, as a male therapist and a primarily um, you know, non-male industry, um, if we can put it that way. Um, That's probably fair. I was uh, one of two male therapists at the uh, first place that I worked in in private practice. Um, And so the influx of patients that I got of clients that I got were were mainly men from the ages of 18 to 35 or 40. Um, And and I think uh, with the clients that I got, um, was noticing that the most of them uh, were coming in with some sort of unwanted sexual behavior that they wanted to talk about. Yeah, um, and so that just kind of piqued my interest into what's happening, what's going on, how prevalent is this in, you know, the the world and the clients I'm going to interact with, and then how does this relate with other, you know, mental health disorders? And, and so it's kind of what got me started. It was really just having clients come to me and be like, "This is what I want to talk about." Yeah,
0: yeah. It is. It is remarkable how. Um how tied this topic is to a shame, right? Like, I think, Hmm. uh, I find people have plenty of shame around substance addiction and even mental health um, issues, but to talk about um, sexual unwanted sexual behavior, like, people tend to really go into a shame spiral with that, for sure. Um, How, and then how have you begun to approach that and how do we we talk about it at peace? I, I think that's an interesting question.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I'll go into a little bit of how I learned to talk about it yeah. before I became a therapist. And okay. so I grew up in what is called purity culture. Right? Yeah. So this idea of, um, you know, um, very shame based culture of, you know, if you're not pure, whatever that word means, right. then, um, then you're a bad person. And so that, that's kind of the world I grew up in. And, um, and I think that's what I noticed is that's where a lot of my clients came from as well. Um, And so, um, you know, I think what that means is coming in with, like you said, the the involvement of shame into the conversation. Um, And and I think, you know, with shame, there's what I believe are two antidotes is kindness and curiosity. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just asking my clients, like, are you willing to enter into this space about talking about this and trying to be kind to yourself and being curious about what's going on?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes that makes a ton of sense, and I think that can be so relieving of that shame for sure. And I know, um, certainly in the work that I've done uh, with clients on the sex addiction issue, um, I took from that um, kind of the, you know, there's these three concentric circles um, that SAA talks about, sex addiction, and Otomis talks about. Um, that i was trained on when i did the the certified sex addiction therapist training module i think um through the meadows and um these concentric circles uh require people kind of in that middle circle to define uh they call it the red circle like the things that they want the behaviors they want to eliminate right and and that takes some work and some time like again with with if somebody comes in addicted to heroin like it's really obvious you want to stop using heroin like that's that becomes really apparent, but I think it takes some time and some uh, some clever clinical work, I think to walk through uh, the behaviors that people want to eliminate that would that they would then consider themselves sober, if you will, yeah. from those behaviors and then the next circle out was kind of the yellow circle, and those were like the the warning signs, mm-hmm. like maybe you know being on the internet when everyone else was in bed or or you know driving down certain streets or you know texting people after a certain time that don 't necessarily mean that somebody's in a relapse but it does mean that somebody's kind of in that that warning sign area and then the the green circle of that kind of contained information about like these are the things that are going to keep me these are the things i want to go toward if you will like you know whether it's some sort of meditation or prayer or or, uh, meetings or therapy or whatever i don't know are you familiar with that model at all and like yeah yeah yeah, a little bit yeah and, and i think I think that works in really nicely, actually, with a lot of um, process addictions mm-hmm. because it takes some time, I think, to identify what exactly uh, people are needing to treat yeah. and what they want to work on and how they're knowing they're being successful in that process.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and that kind of ties into right, we've had this shift of, of language and as we talk about it, because for a long time it was referred to as problematic behavior. Yeah, um, but that got into like who defines what's problematic. Right, um, and so. You know I think the, the key term that I use with clients is unwanted, like if it's unwanted, yeah. then that's something or, or if you're the one, one that's saying it's problematic right that we can go there. but um, like if it's something that you want to change then that um, you know, that's that's key that that's something that we, we can talk about
0: yeah so you mentioned the purity culture a little bit mm-hmm. um. Which you know I've I've found also like implies a fair amount of shame to be honest with you, and there isn't a lot of gray area or or ability to kind of explore sexuality in that Mm -hmm. culture. Um, What other factors do you think kind of drive uh, sex addiction?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think I think we can look at it from a diagnostic lens where we can say you know there there is really no diagnosable condition called a sex addiction right, sex addiction. right. Um, you know there there's there was some kind of back and forth about trying to get um, a hypersexuality disorder but in the dsm um, i think most recently that was shot down um yet uh so, so i think that the best way that i've come to think about sex addiction um and i think what research supports is that it's more about intimacy than it's about sex itself yeah um, and so as we come to approach it, and whether it's in treatment or just in conversation, I think looking at it as more of an intimacy disorder um, probably frames it in the best light, because um, we find that it's, it's less about the actual act of sex or whatever the behavior is that they don't want, and it's more about the desire for connection, and I think that's really important.
0: Okay, will you unpack that a little more? Like, okay, so, because I, I could see that being a little bit of a leap right. um, going from intimacy or sex addiction is an intimacy disorder like bridge that gap well yeah it seems like there's space there
1: yeah yeah um so i think it i think the the bridge has to do with this big word in psychology and counseling called attachment yeah um so for for a long time um and and still the primary view of sex addiction is that um it has to do with uh maybe we can say where it comes from is, is usually some sort of Um, insecure attachment from, you know, when you were younger or some sort of uh, traumatic situation. Um, And so, um, or what they both yeah, yeah. yeah. So often together. And so what they found is, um, I think what we're seeing is, is that um, as we, we look at what sex provides, right? There is, you know, there is the, the, um, the actual feeling it provides in terms of like the neurochemical response of, you know, it feels good. And then, you know, Pleasure is, is something that can humans enjoy, um, but it also provides a sense of connection that I think is at the core of the human heart desire, which is to feel wanted and seen and known. And, um, and so um, I think that's the, that's the, that's yeah, the gap. And, that's the bridge. And it seems like in, in me with clients that I've met with,
0: um, there seems like there's this inverse relationship where um, as, as kind of acting out of sexual behavior goes up, you know. the ability to kind of be... Um, emotionally and physically intimate, like in a real way, goes down. Yeah. Would you say that's fair?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because, you know, as, uh, like you said earlier, um, the, uh, you know, when the brain gets those, those sort of neurochemical reaction, that feels good, you know, it shuts down some of those receptors and it's like, that's too much. And so, you know, we need more and more each time to feel that same amount of pleasure or yeah. that same good feeling. Um, and so, we uh, often that results in, like escalation of behavior or, you know, the, the, the normal or typical way we would, typ- we would find that, that connection of intimacy no longer works. Yeah. Um, and so we have to be creative and we have to find new ways to feel wanted. And, and, and so that, you know, that often can lead to a diminished, whether it's with a partner or whether it's with even, you know, friends that can lead to diminished real world relationships because those no longer provide that chemical response we're looking for. I think it's
0: it's a great way to look at it. How how does um, pornography itself kind of work its way into here? Because I yeah yeah it's obviously tied in there.
1: Yeah yeah absolutely. It um, can be it can be yeah yeah and, and I think so. Pornography is an interesting one mm-hmm. um, because there is like even not from from just a research level like there is plenty of research to show like what it does to the brain and how it you know just impacts our. Um, ability to engage in and you know intimate relationships in the real world scenarios. Um, but really it's it's sex without the risk, right? It's it's our it's connection without the risk of rejection. Um, and I think that's an important thing to think about because I think the risk is mo- makes it worth it. Mm-hmm. Is when we think about what makes a really good intimate relationship, whether it's a marriage or whether it's a friendship, it's the risk of what if this goes wrong. And being able to work through that but pornography gets rid of that risk and says you just get the feel good stuff and you're by yourself and so you get to control what's happening uh, and there's that challenge there
0: yeah fair and i think i i've noticed too um the reward that you mentioned with that that can come with pornography tends to be pretty short-lived right. right like i think i think risk and reward um like being emotionally intimate with a partner or with your friends is high risk or Mm -hmm. higher risk than not. But the reward of that is that intimacy and that connection, which is I think what we are actually wired to receive, right? Like I think um, as people, we have this need for connection and um, it can get distorted pretty quickly, I think uh, in terms of sex addiction, right? Um, How, you haven't been at Peaks an incredible amount of
1: time but like how has this worked into kind of how we treat how you treat clients uh here at peaks yeah yeah i mean we, we, we look at it like the, the treatment for sex addiction is really not that much different than the treatment for you know what we would call typical addiction um, whether it be with substances or yeah um, you know it's uh, we find that you know the this idea of kind of this desire for connection and attachment is the same is there just as you no, know, it is for a substance addiction as it is for a sexual addiction and so treatment really doesn't look that different um, and so um you know what i find is different is the is the uh maybe the shame that is brought in around it yeah and the conversation that they're willing to have is not one that's as open in group as it is in like an individual session where they're probably less likely to go into the sexuality conversation and in, in a group group context, even that's probably where it's going to help the most. Yeah. Um, but are more willing to go with like their, their individual therapist. Yeah. to talk about it. what I think, I mean, even the things that we've mentioned too, like attachment
0: style, we look at that at peaks and kind of explore that with people. Um, we also mentioned that, you know, some, un, uh, some trauma, um, sometimes, uh, Unwanted sexual contact and that sort of thing can lead to these types of behaviors, and those are also things that we deal with at Peaks. Because um, I do think, <clears throat> again, kind of quoting T.J. Woodward from Conscious Recovery again, that you know, honestly, acting out sexually is it tends to be this uh, brilliant strategy for coping with whatever it is, whether it's this anxious attachment, right. or uh, avoidant attachment, or insecure attachment. Um, or whether it's kind of dealing with the pain from trauma, or um, you know, even kind of neglect from childhood and that sort of thing, or just, um, or kind of some stunted developments actually uh, due to purity culture, where where one wasn't able to kind of talk and explore um, these domains. Um, we do, I think, work pretty diligently. I think to to work on those underlying yeah, issues and yeah. kind of um, help with that. Right. I kind of, I kind I guess, I kind of look at it too like this. Um, There's outside-in work to do, which is about kind of building what what does sexual sobriety, if you will, look like. And that doesn't mean not having sex, by the way. Right, right, yeah. It's it's a sex-positive approach, for Uh sure. Um, But there's some outside-in, like what are the behaviors that have to change, what are behaviors that need to be added, but there's that also Mm -hmm. inside-out journey that people have to go on as well, where they get to kind of explore what are some of these underlying issues and what can kind of relieve some of my desire to kind of act out in these ways too
1: and 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 I think it's important to say too it's not just behavior modification right like we're not just talking about like how do we behave in a way that makes us feel better about ourselves or how do we behave in a way that aligns more with my values Mm -hmm. I think it's it's how do I because I think in that conversation right is is this idea of you know, um, there's this term they call sexual incongruence, right? Where if, if you have this value of like, maybe, maybe let's use purity, right? Let's use like abstinence as a, as a value. And then you are unable to, for whatever reason, live up to that value, right? That's where cognitive dissonance steps in because you have this, this whole gap of like my values don't matter with my behavior. I don't know what to believe about myself. And so, um, you know, I, I think this stepping into the conversation and talking about um, you know, what it is you value, what it is. I ask clients all the time, you know, I help them establish uh, what I call a kingdom, right? What do you love? What do you hate? That establishes like the kingdom that's ahead of you that you have in front of you. And, and what, um, you know, what behavior, if you want to just talk about behavior, what behavior fits into that kingdom, that kingdom you have in terms of helping you go towards the things you love and avoiding the things you hate.
0: That makes, that makes total sense. how, so, so put sex addiction into your kingdom metaphor there. Yeah. What, what did people like be, give a practical example if you could? Yeah. Yeah. that works.
1: Yeah. So, um, in that kingdom metaphor, right, we have we have this idea of um, um, like let's imagine someone is the ruler of their kingdom, right? So they they're in charge of you know how it looks and what's happening and the you know all that stuff, and so they get to pursue the things they love and they get to avoid the things that that bring them displeasure. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it's, if someone loves, um, some love sex, if someone loves connection, if someone loves, um, you know, exploring their sexuality, those are things they actually love. How do we do that in a way that promotes wholeness and integrity and, and whatever they want to define that as? So, um, and then on the dislike or the hate side, which is a pretty strong word, but yeah. on the hate side of stuff, like maybe they... Um, I'll talk to clients about you know they hate the feeling of being lonely. They hate the feeling of being by themselves. They hate the you know the the disconnection that comes with pornography. They hate that aspect of it. And so, what are the changes we can make to still find those those kind of like fulfillment pieces of it that you can live into and pursue the things that you loved while avoiding the things that really just make you unhappy?
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it's certainly what I appreciate about what you say is it's obviously a very um, Client-centered approach where where people um, we're not kind of pushing our values onto somebody, and that's what gets tricky around this too. Mm -hmm. And um, I think a lot of early kind of sex addiction treatment kind of came from that purity culture too, Mm -hmm. um, of like get fully abstinent Mm -hmm. and get kind of back um, into what would be a traditional. View of sexuality, and I think there's a lot of room to operate in in your kingdom, if yeah, you will, yeah. um, of healthy
1: sexual behavior. And it, and for some, right, because it's so individual, it might mean abstinence for a period of time. Yeah, like right. it just like just like we go into, you know, substance addiction. Like it might mean a complete abstinence or sobriety for a period of time. Yeah, um, and so really, it's just kind of person specific and depends on the client himself. Yeah, that that is an
0: interesting point. Um, 'Cause I have s I have seen a use and I I can honestly say I've asked some clients to do that too, where it's like the, the compulsive and obsessive behavior is so intense that um a sh- a short ish period of celibacy just um is a way to kinda hit the reset button and kind of um uh, uh, I think it would be similar to what kids today call a tolerance break or something Mm -hmm. on like cannabis seats or something where it's like I gotta take a minute and like kind of yeah and hit the reset button and And that does take some time
1: yeah and and it also helps kind of make this distinction for them between like that they can still be intimate that doesn't mean they have to be sexual right um and and at the same time sexuality also doesn't include physical contact and so you can have you know they can still explore their sexuality and and you know be in intimate relationships that doesn't mean they have to actually do have sex yeah um and so i think that's an important distinction because often they um you know clients will get into this this framework of like the only way i can you know be intimate with someone is through you know this behavior that i want to stop and so i I don't know how to actually have relationships yeah friendships even um without without this behavior and so having them make this distinction of like intimacy and physical activity right that's i think that can be really helpful for some
0: yeah, in it's certainly like offering tools to help mm-hmm. people learn how to be intimate. Yeah. Learn how to identify our emotions so then yeah. we can share those with other people, learn how to have a conversation, learn yeah. how be open, learn how to listen.
1: Yeah, I think I mean I think it starts with intimacy with self. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like one of my favorite frameworks to kind of uh, work with people uh trying to work through some unwanted behavior. I know you are a fan of it is IFS. Yeah. Right, which is all, all about kind of reducing the shame behind um, you know, parts of ourselves that act in ways we don't want to yeah. and trying to develop curiosity about like, what's the actual desire there? Like what's, what's the good, you yeah. know, what's happening. Right. Um, and that we can, we can show compassion towards ourselves in that moment and don't have to be like, you're doing a bad thing. Yeah.
0: No, that's exactly right. I, you know, I do love to say too, that all behavior makes sense in context. Mm-hmm. And when we can understand our own context of our behaviors and without the judgment and be like, okay, I see how I got here. We can find and foster some compassion, right. I think, for right. ourselves oftentimes. Yeah. All right, well, um, I appreciate this conversation, Zach. Um, I think it's been helpful. I think this is an issue that isn't talked about enough. I think it's, an, it's, a, it's a thing that a lot of people, I think, want to talk about or need to talk about, but it's yeah. hard to find a space to do that. So I appreciate you coming on and of course, um, onto your first podcast and uh, talking about sex addiction. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It'd be easier to talk like, NFL football or something
1: that this is probably more important. I could probably talk more about this than that.
0: (laughs) Okay, that's probably fair. All right, with that, we'll go ahead and sign off. Um, Please find us at peaksrecoverycenters.com or look us up on Google uh, and follow us on Facebook. And with that, we are out.